This morning we're finishing up a short series that we have called, How Can I Be Sure I'm Pleasing God? And we looked at two areas so far that we know please God. First he said, we have to have faith. Without it, we can't please Him. And the second thing that we saw, that we have to have works. Works, faith without works is dead, James said. And we have to do, and God wants us to be and also do. And this morning, we're going to continue and look at a third area. Um, I've never really got into playing the stock market and working that kind of thing. But I've had friends that have been involved in that. And um, one of the things that they say about that is if you're going to invest in the stock market, you have to ignore the ups and downs. You have to look at the long-term picture. And if you're in there at every up and down, you'll, you'll never make it. You'll never survive. And that same idea could be translated into life. That life has its ups and downs, but we have to look at the long haul. The sad thing that in our technologically sophisticated world where everything is speeding up and going at a faster and faster pace, uh, people don't like to look at the long term. We live in the now. We look at things we buy and things we do. They change so rapidly. What we buy today is outdated sometimes before we hardly get it home. And so it's hard to look at things in the big picture and the long view. We don't like to make commitments. Our culture just gets more and more into this thing where we don't want to make commitments. We don't want any long-term contracts. Uh, you know, and they're always trying to lock you in to, to something longer than we want to be locked into. Whether it's your phone, whether it's maybe even a job, whether it's a marriage. I just read recently where um, some are wanting to establish a new kind of marriage that is kind of a contractual marriage that we'll get married for five years. And then at the end of five years we can renew or we can go our separate ways. Okay? That's what some are thinking. We don't like to commit to those laws. Sometimes we don't even like to commit to God and His kingdom. We have an operational attitude of, uh, I want to keep my options open. I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to commit to anything because life is a buffet and I don't want to get to the end of the line and my plate's full and I can't take something else. So I just won't commit. The fact is, we can't live life without commitments. Uh, really, we can't live without making some kind of commitment. If you ever buy a house, we're in the process of buying a house, and we find out the bank wants a commitment. And they want us to commit until the whole loan is paid off. Can you believe that? You know? We get married, and that's a commitment. You can't do anything from getting your driver's license to signing up for a class or whatever that it doesn't take some kind of commitment. Nothing 
ever great happens uh, without making a commitment. And if we go through life without making commitments, what happens is we just end up drifting without a focus. And so in this series this morning, we're ending up with one thing that pleases God is a life of commitment. Uh, commitment. In, in, in Second Chronicles chapter 16, it says, For the eyes of the Lord, Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Over in Luke it says, Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. What's he talking about? Commitment. Uh, So what does the Bible say about commitment? Nothing affects your life more than the commitments that you choose to make. The commitments that you choose to make really define everything there is about you. We want to look at three effects of commitments on your life. The things that I commit myself to show my values. The things that I commit myself to show my values. They show what I think is really important. What I really value. What I really love. And there's no such thing as love without commitment. If, if someone ever tells you, I love you, but they're not willing to commit to you, they're not really, they don't really love you. There's something else that is first in their life. There's no love without commitment. The essence of love is a commitment of ourself to another person, to meet that person's need. When the the Word says that God so loved the world, He wasn't just talking about a feeling that God had in His his gut up in heaven. Uh, It was action. It was something that He committed Himself to do. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Uh, That's what love is all about. I may say that something is important to me. But the way that I commit my time and the way that I commit my resources, my money shows what it is, what is really important to me. I may say, for instance, that my, my family is really important to me. But if I never spend time with my family and everything else always takes precedence over my family, it will show by my choices uh, what I really love, what is really important. I can say that my health is very important to me. And yet if I do nothing to care for my body, to take care of my health, and do things that harm my health, then I can't really say that my health is really important. As much as I say it, my choices, my commitments, say something else. Uh, and so if I, if I don't make commitments... I'm saying that that thing is not important. If I, if I don't make commitments, uh, I'm saying that really, and some people say I just don't make commitments to anything, that's the ultimate expression of selfishness. Because what you're saying, I won't commit to anything other than just what I want. And isn't that really what our culture is about? Me, what, you know, what feels good, what you want to do at the moment, uh, And so, God calls us to make a commitment uh, because commitments uh, express and show the values uh, of my life. Uh, 
The second thing that commitments do, commitments shape my life. Commitments shape my life. I become what I've committed myself to. My life is the sum total of the commitments that I have made uh, to this point. If I believe that money is the most important thing in my life, then it's going to shape uh, how I go about doing things and how I look at things and, and how I, I, I track my future. If I believe that being liked is the most important thing, then I am going to do things and, and, and take, make choices that try to get people to like me no matter what the cost. Uh, if I think that having a good time is the most important thing, I will be shaped by that. You know, you can pretty much read a person's character and even a person's future based on what they've committed themselves to. Choosing your commitments shape your character. So you better choose your commitments carefully. And if you've never thought about those commitments uh, and what they, what they, the end results of them, we better do so because commitments are taking us somewhere. They are shaping my future. They not only shape my values, but they shape my life. And then the third thing is, commitments determine our destiny. The commitments that you make not only determine the here and now, but they also determine eternity. No, life on earth is, is brief. Even if we live to be a hundred years, life is so short compared to eternity that never ends. And so, if my choices and my commitments are even going to determine where I will spend eternity, commitments are very, very important. If we are going to develop a life, a relationship with Christ, that is a choice that is going to shape eternity. But that involves commitment. Jesus said this, or asked this question, What will a man give in exchange for his soul. That's a very important question. What will a man or a woman give in exchange for their soul? That's important because every day of your life you're exchanging something of your of your life for something. You're given a part of your life for something. We're all given a certain amount of days. I don't know exactly how many days uh, I have in my life. But they tell us that the average lifespan of an American is like 78 years on average, everybody. If you would average that out by days, that's 28,725 days. I've already spent almost 21,000 of those. When you start thinking of it like that, it's like, wow. These days that I have left are really important. Okay? If, if I live an average life, uh, I only have like 7,000 more days. I've already spent 21,000. So three quarters of my life is gone. 
What am I doing? What? It, don't you think that if I look at, at it like that, I'm going to start thinking, okay, today is important what I do today because I only have a few of these left. Every day we wake up, we exchange life for something. We can exchange it for, for TV. We could exchange it for work. We can exchange it for studying uh, uh, for, for our own enhancement, for developing our personal life or our spiritual life. We can spend it to get more money. But one of the things that you can't do is get more time. We can get a little more of all these things, but you can't get any more time. You can spend your time on this, this, or this, but you can't get more time. We have a certain amount of days up. Wise people plan how they're going to exchange their life. What they're going to exchange their life for. They plan that exchange by making what we call commitments. And they say, okay, I am going to commit to this. And when you make a commitment, you're choosing how you're going to invest your life. How you're going to spend your time. How you're going to use your resources. In life, every choice has consequences. It may seem like an insignificant choice, but every choice has consequences. When I choose something, when I commit to something, there is a consequence uh, to that. Uh, the choices and the commitments I make show my values, they shape my life, and they determine my destiny. So I need to learn to make commitments wisely. The most important commitment that any of us could make is a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, to become a follower of Jesus Christ. But even that has a price tag. In other words, following Jesus, to choose to follow Jesus Christ, there is a price tag, there is a consequence, there is something that will cost us. What's the price tag of following Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus Himself was very upfront about this. And he said this, he said, If you want to be my followers, you must have more, you must love life more than your own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, more than your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciples. You must love me more. I said, love life. You must love me more. And Jesus is very clear that in following Him, there is a cost to that commitment. He is basically saying, I expect to be first place in your life. If you are going to follow Me, uh, then above anybody, above anything, I must be first in your life. Now that's pretty audacious to, to make that kind of call to anyone who says, I want to be your follower uh, but the cost is strong. And that is the cost. And He has a right to ask that of us. He is the one that created me. He is the one that made me. He loves me. He has a plan for my life. He died for me on the cross. And He says, I demand first place in your life if you're going to follow me. Now some people look at Jesus as a piece of the pie. Their life is a pie. And Jesus is a piece of that pie. A slice might be career. Another slice might be a relationship or family. Another 
slices my dreams and, and the things I want to do. And then in there somewhere, there is a slice of life that is Jesus or religion or church. And we, we say, okay, I'm going to give him that peace. Now, Jesus, you have your peace. Now you should be satisfied. But Jesus says, no, I'm either number one or I'm nothing. I demand everything. I don't want to just be a part of your life. I want to be your life. Uh, Jesus is not just an appendage appendage that we tack on uh, uh, like the end of our name, have another little thing that we are. I'm all, oh yeah, and I'm a, a Christ follower. Some people look at it kind of like the country western show in which... Uh, uh, you know, there's a song about cheating and there's a song about maybe drugs or alcohol and a song about truck driving. And then, oh, and let's have a gospel song here to end it out. And, and just kind of like, you know, appeasing to everybody and all of our natural feelings. And yeah, we want to do this, this, this. And oh yeah, we want to, we want to have Jesus and go to heaven when we die. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, then He is not Lord at all in your life. C.S. Lewis said this, If Christianity is untrue, then it is unimportant. You see, if the Bible is a lie, if it's just a myth, uh, if, if Jesus really isn't God, uh, if He didn't rise from the dead, then really, what are we doing here this morning? What are we doing here? Let's just go home. There's other things that we could be doing on a Sunday morning if it's untrue and if it's unimportant. On the other hand, if Christianity is true, then it is of the ultimate importance. And it deserves everything that we've got. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your family, your career, your goals. It's the most important thing in your life if it's true. And C.S. Lewis said this also, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It can't be moderately important. It's either all or nothing. It either demands and deserves everything I've got or let's just go home. The phrase, a casual Christian, is a contradiction of words. I remember when we were down in Kentucky living many years ago, a neighbor boy came all excited coming into our yard. We were out there working and he was all excited and he said, guess what? My mom is half pregnant. Well, we know there's no such thing as being half pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. What he meant, she was halfway along, I guess, and he just found out. But some of us think that we can be half pregnant, half committed to God. And, and there's no such thing as just being halfway committed because we're either committed or we're not committed. That is what Jesus says about following Him. Jesus says this is the cost. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and then all these things He will add to us that we need to take care of ourselves uh, how do we do that? We talk a lot about putting God first, and we say it, and we sing it, and we, we, we study about putting God first, but how do I put God first in my life? Let me just give you four practical ways to do that. One is to give God the first thoughts of every day. 
Psalm 5.3 says, Each morning I will look at you in heaven and lay my requests before you. Before we get out of bed in the morning, we ought to learn that the first thing we think about, the first thoughts that be allowed to run through our mind is God and my relationship with Him. My need for Him. My desire to talk with Him. My desire to, to communicate and commune with Him even before I roll out of bed. Talk to God before you talk to anybody else. Read His Word, the good news, before you listen to all the bad news that you're going to hear wherever you go throughout the day. Uh, it helps us to focus on those things that are most important if God is our first thoughts of every day. And one of the ways that we can make God the first thought of our every day is to make Him the last thoughts of every night. How many times have you gone to bed and had some ditty song going through your mind and you wake up and the first thing you hear is that song? going through your mind, because it was the last thing you thought about. And so it is, our mind is kind of like that. We turn it off, and we kind of pick up where we left off the night before. And if we end up talking to God and thanking Him for the day and and, and laying ourselves out before Him, we'll be in a mind to start that next day uh, with Him. Give Him the first thoughts of every day. And then give Him the first day of every week. First day of the week is Sunday. And we come and we worship together on the first day of the week. Do you know why we worship on the first day of the week? Well, every Sunday we're celebrating Easter. Every Sunday it's a celebration that Christ arose from the dead on the first day of the week. And we come together to celebrate that, to remember that, to thank Him for that, to connect with Him because of what He has done. And so we spend our days throughout the week running for ourselves, doing what we need to do. But we need to stop every Sunday. And you know, whether we are here or whether you're on vacation, I don't know, when you go away on vacation, do you find a church? Or is it like, oh, well, it's not important today. I'm not home. We need to commune with Him. We don't go to church because everybody's watching and know whether we're here or not. We go to church because we want to commune with God. Give Him the first day of the week. And then give Him the first 10% of every paycheck. That's called tithing. One of the ways that we, we honor Him is to put Him first in every area of our life. And one of the way, areas that we find many times hard to do that in is in our finances. But it is a clear reflection of where our values are. Does He come first in our paycheck? We give because of our gratitude for what God has done in our past. We give to keep our priorities right in our future, in our present. And we give uh, to focus and have faith for the future that God has called us to. You want to know what's really important to you? You want to know what you really love? I challenge you to go home and go through your paycheck or your, your checkbook or wherever you keep the records of your spending for the last month, for the last year. And you will see what's important to you. 
You'll see what you value most. You'll see what you have invested in the most. Uh, I don't care what you say is important. The way that we spend our money reflects what's really important to us. Uh, There are many things that the Word says about tithing and giving in the Bible. But one of them says this in Deuteronomy where it was first laid out. It says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. That's the purpose. Not because God has to have your money. God can do whatever He wants to do with or without me. The purpose of giving is is that I would be able to know that God needs to be first in my life. It's a way of me saying, God, You are first. Tithing is not charity. And charity is not tithing. I think we should be charitable and give to charitable things. Uh, but tithing is an act of worship. Tithing, and I come to church on Sunday morning and I give and we give together. It is an act of worship. Of worshiping the God that has given to us. And then the fourth thing is to, that God be first in Every decision I make that I give God the first consideration. In everything you do, put God first. And He will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Do you want to be successful? Well, this is foundational to knowing true success. Put God first in every area and God said, I will bless the rest of your life. Does it mean that every if I put God first that I will have no problems? No. But God says, I will bless. I will bless in every area of your life and I will supply all of your needs. Uh, put Him first and God will give us the success that we as human beings want to have. We want to be successful. And God will give us the su- success that will bring honor and glory to Him. Now, there's some pitfalls to commitment. There are things that cause us to stumble. There are things that can ambush. And I want to mention two of them that can weaken our commitment to Christ. Uh, If the law of averages holds true, and the experience repeats itself, in five years, some of you will not be here. And you won't just not be here because you've passed on You'll be here because you've drifted away. You've washed up spiritually. You're no longer walking with God. You've flamed out. You're not growing and you've just kind of drifted off to do my own thing. The sad thing is, as I have served here for the past 29 years, I think one of the saddest things is to sit back and remember the people that used to sit in church. But today they aren't in church at all. They've just drifted away. And the thing about it is, if we are not careful, that could be me. And I'm not just saying you, I'm saying me. I know pastors that have drifted away. I know pastors that used to stand behind a pulpit every every week and preach who aren't even going to church anymore because... They have drifted away and left the commitment that they have made. Uh, why does this happen? It's because we've never allowed ourselves to really 
be committed and stay committed to that which is the deep and real need of our life. Uh, We can't be a casual Christian and grow and keep the focus and end up where we need to be. Let's look at two things. The first thing is we get distracted. In Mark chapter 4, He said, but all too quickly the attractions of this world and the delights of wealth and the search for the success and lure of nice things come in and crowd out God. He was talking about the the seeds and how things grow up when they're planted and, 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 and crowd out the seed that God has planted in their life. Uh, if you look at this list, None of those things are bad. None of those things are evil or wicked. Wealth, uh, success, nice things. Those aren't in themselves evil and people could have any of those and still be a follower that is truly committed to Christ. Uh, but what happens is those things become the important things in life. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just that that's not the reason God put me on earth to make that the focus of my life. And when they become the focus of my life, it means that Jesus isn't. Because I can't be focused in two ways, two places. I can't focus on that door and that door at the same time. If I do, you know I have problems with my eyes, right? And so, if I am going to focus, I have to focus on one thing. That's the way we were created, to focus on one. And if I allow things to distract me, it's going to take my focus off of God. What are the things that distract me from God? The things that distract me may not be the things that distract you. But I'll guarantee you that there are things in your life that you find yourself susceptible to that this becomes to become more and more important in my life. And we can't be distracted because he said, what will happen? It will crowd out God. I've seen so many people who make all kinds of promises to God and then become distracted. And God's no longer the center of their life. Uh, Don't let good things get in the way of the best thing. And then the second thing is we become complacent. We become complacent and we begin to live off of past commitments that we've made. We never keep our commitment up to date. We kind of are like, you know, well, back in 1973 I made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ. And that's important. We have to have a start point. But too many people are just living off of a feeling of a day many years ago and don't have a a fresh and vibrant commitment, updated commitment, uh, and we become complacent. Uh, A commitment that we made years ago is good. But what about your commitment to Christ right now? What is it doing? What What is it impacting? How is it impacting your life? Uh, there's a story in the Bible in the book of Joshua. Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land. Moses has died. 
And they have come and they cross the Jordan River. And the first city that they come to is a town by the name of Jericho. And we've all heard of the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And remember uh, two weeks ago in our message, we had, we had talked about that in the aspect of faith. But here was a bunch of slaves that were coming to one of the strongest fortified cities in that whole region, and they were coming up to it, uh, and how was it going to come down? Well, we remember the incredible miracle of God calling them and commanding them to walk around for seven days, uh, and then at the end they were to blow their trumpets and the walls came tumbling down. Uh, short while after that, God told them to go and take the next city, the next town. It was just really a really podunk town. It was, it was kind of like, you know, Clearfield's the big metropolis and Shawville down the road. It's just, you know, there's three houses and you're gone. And, and there it is. And this little town was called AI. And, and they got complacent. Listen to what they they did. It says, Soon after Jericho's defeat, Joshua sent some of his men to spy on the city of Ai. Upon their return, they told Joshua, It's a small city. It won't take much more than two or three thousand of us to destroy it. There's no point in all of us going there. Do you hear the cockiness in there? Do you hear the complacency in there? goes on. It says, So approximately 3,000 soldiers were sent and they were soundly defeated. About 36 Israelis were killed during the attack and many others died while being chased by the men of Ai. The Israeli army was paralyzed with fear as at this turn of events. And Joshua and the elders of Israel tore up their clothes and lay on the floor crying to God with dust on their heads. Joshua cried out to the Lord, Oh God, why have you brought us over the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? Why weren't we content with what we had? Why didn't we just stop on the other side? Oh Lord, what am I to do now that Israel has fled from its enemies? But the Lord said to Joshua, Get up off your face. There's a time to pray, and there's a time to get up off our face. Sometimes we need to pray about a problem, but sometimes we need to get up and do something, commit ourselves to something, to be what God has wants us to be. He goes on there and says, Israel has, God said, Israel has sinned and disobeyed my commandment and has taken loot I said not to be taken. They've not only taken it, but they've lied about it and hid it in among their baggage, their belongings. God said, When you go into this city, Ai, I don't want you to take anything. I want it to be a sacrifice to God. Completely destroy it. Don't take any valuables. There's no looting. Everything is an offering to God. But they went in there and one guy by the name of Achan, it says, found three things that he liked. He found a dress for his wife and he found some silver and some gold uh, And he took it and he hid it away. But they found him out. And this one guy, because of his lack of commitment to what God had called them to do, caused the defeat of a whole nation. That's the power of any of us 
upon the kingdom of God when we fail to be committed to what God has called us to be. The power of that one individual keeping the whole of the Israelites from being blessed. They got complacent. And they were humiliated. Last week, they said, in Jericho, we were part of this big, big miracle that God is going to do, did. And so we really don't need, we, we, we see, we don't need numbers. Uh, we can just send up a few people and get it done. We need to be aware that Satan wants us to become complacent. To miss the blessings that God wants to give us to defeat us. Uh, how real and how deep is my commitment to Jesus Christ? Am I willing to lay my life down? We talk about that figuratively. But right now in many parts of the world, it's not a figurative thing. They are laying down their lives uh, to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, when the Israelis went, when the Israelites went through the Red Sea, was that the last time they were tested? No. They had another test and another test. And they had to keep that commitment current uh, if they were going to have victory. And in our lives, it isn't just that we started following Christ, but that every time, every situation, we have a new and fresh commitment to be and to do what Christ wants us to do. Uh, In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, it says, Don't be lazy in showing your devotion. Use your energy in serving the Lord. The Phillips translation says, Let us keep the fires of the Spirit burning. We can't live on yesterday's commitment. We have to develop and keep developing that spiritual muscle that we talked about last week. We have to develop that spiritual muscle for a purpose. And the purpose is to live out the commitment that we have made to Jesus Christ. And then lastly, the payoff for being committed to Christ. God promises both a short-term payoff and a long-term payoff. In Matthew chapter 6, He says, Do not worry saying, What shall we eat or drink or wear? Your heavenly Father knows you need these. But seek first... There again, putting God first. Seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. The first payoff when I commit my life totally to Christ is I really don't have to worry anymore. You know, they talk about worrying being a sin. Why is it a sin? Because it's saying I can't trust God. And God said, if you follow Me, I will take care of all of your needs. I will... And and then we say, well, God, you're not doing anything. We have to go back. Am I truly 100% committed to Him? Am I living out that commitment? You know, God does not owe us anything. He doesn't owe us tomorrow. But by His grace, He says, uh, if you give me all of you, I will give you all of me. And I will supply all. I'll take care of you from here on out. In ancient Rome, there were millions and millions of slaves. In fact, they tell us there were more slaves in the Roman Empire than there were free people. And many free people sold themselves into slavery. You think, why would I do that? But they would sell themselves into slavery trying to get someone good to buy them because 
Once that slave owner purchased the slave, he was then responsible for the care of that slave for the rest of their life. And so someone that didn't have much of anything could maybe have a better life if they had a good master by selling themselves to someone and then they take care of them for the rest of their life. Uh, That's a little bit what God is saying. Give me your life and I will take care of you. I will be the master. He says, I will be in control, but I will... I I am looking out for your best if you are committed to me. The long-term benefit is heaven. And in Matthew chapter 25, it says, The Master will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your Master's happiness. God will say, Well done. And he will, he will promote us, giving us increased responsibility. And he said, there will be a celebration. You'll join in the happiness of the Father forever. Are you committed? Are you committed? Are you a hundred percent committed? Or are you half committed? Just kind of halfway committed. You know, one of the problems I think with commitment in our culture is, that many times we're overcommitted. We're overcommitted to so many things that we can't be committed to anything. We have so many arts, and, and, and I see that as a, a part of, of Satan's trap in our culture to keep us from really being committed to Christ, to have so many things that need us, need our attention. Uh, And I think that if we're ever going to really be completely committed to Christ, some of us are going to have to give rid of some of the other things in life that pull us and keep us from being totally committed to Him. Not that they're bad. We can can rack up a list of things that are good, maybe even great things to do. But if we have so many things in our life that keep us from focusing and putting Jesus Christ first, uh, then Satan is using them to drive a wedge in our commitments. The old statement that says the world has yet to see what God can do in and through and for a person that is totally committed to Christ. Uh, the very first verse that we shared was for his eye, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for people to use He is looking for people to bless. He is looking for people that He wants to strengthen. He is looking for people that will allow Him to be Lord of His life. He's looking for fully committed people. The question is, will I be that kind of person? From the depths of my heart, I want to be that person. I want to be the person that is fully committed to Jesus Christ. Uh, I want that my life... Will have made, I will have made the best investment of my time, of my resources, of the energy that God has given me, that when I stand before Him, I will hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, it doesn't take great people to do great things. It just takes committed people. Committed people that are willing to keep at it until God tells them, Well done. In Romans chapter 6, it says, Give yourself completely to God, every part of you, and you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for His 
good purpose. I challenge you this morning to not be a person whose commitment to Christ is shallow, but that the deepest thing in your life is your commitment to follow Jesus. Anybody can be superficial. To be a superficial Christian, which is, again, an oxymoron. But many times we, okay, I go to church, and I try to be good, I try to be nice, and He's a slice of my life. But all that we would have, 100% commitment to Him, that we will have no regrets when we stand at the end of our life and look back. I want to please God. Faith pleases Him. My service pleases Him. And my commitment makes God happy. That's what He is looking for. Will you be that kind of man, that kind of woman? Shall we stand? Father God, we bow in Your presence this morning. And we thank You that You are our God. Lord, we we want to please You. We want to make a smile on Your face as You think of us and look at us. Lord, I pray that we will evaluate the various areas of our life, our faith, our service, our commitment. And Lord, that we will allow You to be Lord of everything. That we would not look at this relationship with You as just somewhat important but that it is the most important thing in our lives. We ask now that as we go out of here this week, that You will remind us over and over as we make choices, the importance of those choices upon our character and our future and our destiny. Lord, I pray that You will help us as we serve You, that we will do it with a heart fully devoted to pleasing our Maker. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.